Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You are listening to SEC After Dark with Stephen Willis, Corey Burton, and Jeb Beecham. All right, welcome to SEC After Dark. I'm the host, Stephen Willis, alongside Corey Burton. We're going to go on this magical mystery tour that will mount around the SEC. We're going to talk a little expansion tonight. Um, we're going to enjoy our beer. Landshark um, beer here, um, as always. My, my hot takes are fueled tonight by Sweetwater IPA. You're going to get a live taste test from me uh, tonight. Uh, this is the first time I've ever had Sweetwater IPA. I'm usually a Sweetwater 420 guy if I do the Sweetwater, and I've been known to drink Sweetwater Blue as well. I do like me some Sweetwater Blue. So, shall we? Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Mm, That's pretty good, actually. I could could dig that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Not normally an IPA type guy. So not me neither. I'm I am I'm about as weak sauce as they come. I go for the I go for the wheat beers, like the the blue moons, the summer ales, the lining kugel, you know, those type of things. Mm-hmm. But uh this was left in my refrigerator, so I said, why not? Never had it. Eh, um why not? Why not? I'll taste it on air. That'll be fun. So um in the spirit of Nate Bargazzi. Let's go, folks. Yeah. Um, Tonight's show, we're going to talk a little bit about exactly what expansion would mean. Um, And then we're going to get into the Oklahoma and Texas story. And we're going to go back in time a little bit um, to 2011 when all this started. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, SEC Media Day's impressions. So, first of all, what expansion would mean to the SEC? Now, Last week, there's no surprise to anybody that with Mark Emmert saying the NCAA should de-emphasize itself, that the conferences should take more power, somebody would step up to try and do that. And Mm -hmm. to do that, add Oklahoma, add Texas, all of a sudden you have the eight horses of the apocalypse in the SEC, and you can really do some damage. And then you add Clemson and Florida State and you rule the world, right? Yeah. yeah, it would be it would be insane uh, to add Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I was joking with my wife earlier on the way home from practice tonight, and I joked with her saying that you know now there's going to be a battle to see who the real UT is. Yeah, and you know the power T at it's Tennessee. Texas. Yeah, the power T at Tennessee looks an awful lot like the T at Texas. Mm-hmm. You figured the font would be at least a little bit different. Yeah, at least they got the colors slightly slightly different. So I guess there's that, right? Oh, can you imagine um, how much of an eyesore all that orange would be? Oh, uh, I don't even oh, want to think about that. Oh I, my! I got a headache. Goodness! I got to take a sip on that one. I got it, a headache now. It would just be like retina-inducing, like just pain. It'd be like <clears> Superman's <throat> heat vision. You ever want to gouge your eyes out? Yeah, mm-hmm. just just go to a UT UT game. Yeah, that's see what, what did there. Yeah. Exactly. And um, Texas A&M calls them TU, by the way. That's some kind of insulting thing <laughs> that calls yes. them TU. And I, I, I don't T-U, get that yeah. one at all. Um, it, I, it's it's just like it's just like people, you know, calling Southern Miss the mustard buzzards. It's just, you know, because Texas fans, they, you know, they're the University of Texas. So they get really mad about that. The only free space out there <laughs> is whenever the next round of expansion happens, Southern Miss mm-hmm. is going to lose. They, don't they always lose? Yeah, they just drop down, and they can drop down, and they drop down. It wasn't that long ago they were winning a league right below the Power Five. Mm-hmm. Now they're teetering around the Sun Belt territory, and after this next round of expansion, they could be at the absolute bottom of the barrel. Hey, hey, don't don't make fun of the Sun Belt. The Fun Belt is outstanding. Well, they um, are just their markets keep getting stolen by um, higher divisions, higher leagues. That that is very true. But mm-hmm. Chad Lunsford is making a case for Georgia Southern by going uh, and and moonlighting as a professional wrestler. Really? Yeah. Did they they had some like local event I think somewhere down in South Georgia, um, and they like brought him out there and they like you know how like in wrestling they gang up on somebody you know they they did that. 
you know, his, his big gimmick is like he elbow drops a, a steel chair in the locker room. Like when they have a big win, he does like the people's elbow on a, on a chair. That's so weird. So absolutely <clears throat> weird. I don't, I do not understand the, that the fascination with that. It is Statesboro, Georgia. So keep that in mind. Um, it is Statesboro, Georgia. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you look at expansion, it, it, it's very fascinating the, the, the way the world with NIL, you know, I think it rips every remaining tooth out of, out of the NCAA. Um, you're going to see conferences. It's going to be a free for all. And they're going to, they're going to band together and put together some sort of tournament to see who the national champion is. But you know, if this thing with Oklahoma and Texas gets approved, bye-bye big 12, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll get to our, you know, we'll, we'll go big 12 after dark and just talk about which teams are, going we got, to we better hurry. Cause it's yeah. about to be big 12. Yeah. Never. Um, where, which teams are likely to go where, who is going to be the team that is likely going to be left out? Because if you take all the teams in the Big 12, which is only 10, I know it makes a ton of a sense, and you just divide them um, among the remaining spots in the Power 5 conferences, nine mm-hmm. teams have a home, one team gets left out. That's probably KU, right? No, that's probably Kansas State. Kansas basketball is going to save them. That's true. That's Especially they, they would probably um end up in the likely end up in the Big Ten. Iowa State would likely end up in the Big Ten. Iowa State is definitely Big Ten because they're mm. they're they're natural rivals with Iowa. That makes sense. I've always been a proponent of trading Nebraska for Iowa State for the Big Ten and getting that Iowa Iowa State rivalry. But yeah, Matt Campbell's a Big Ten guy. Uh, Iowa State's athletics are you know, they're competitive with Iowa. And I I think that would be a great fit for the big 10, uh, Kansas and Kansas state, I think need to go over to the pac 12. They can be natural rivals with Colorado and kind of add some, some depth in in mid America markets there. Um, I I think you take the remaining teams like West Virginia, stick them in the ACC, Mm -hmm. um, take Pitt. no Pitt's in the ACC. Um, you take Oklahoma state, throw them in the big 10, no, uh, their academics aren't. I don't think they would mesh in the Big Ten. But you could take somebody. But it's the same problem with the Pac-12. So you can send them out. Does they have Rutgers four spots. really? Though? Yeah. yeah, there's four spots out in the Pac-12 to get mm-hmm. them to that magic 16, and maybe that's something like Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and TCU. Yeah, I mean, you got to take those Texas schools and send them west, and, and that's in that scenario. Uh, send the Eastern teams to the ACC. Um, and then two to the Big Ten, like Iowa State uh, to the Big Ten, and Can, uh, probably uh, I'm, I'm 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 all proponent of Kansas. <clears throat> okay, yeah, well, whatever team fits well in the in the in the Big Ten, I think basketball wise they fit well in the Big Ten. Send the rest out west and send a couple to the ACC as well. The ACC sitting at fourteen, I think too. So I think um, are they? I think they're fifteen. Are they not? Well, it depends on what you do with Notre Dame. Okay, yeah, I'm counting Notre Dame in that. Okay. Yeah, it depends on what you do with Notre Dame. But and if I'm if I'm the Big Ten, I, I contact Notre Dame <laughs> and say, "Hey, come on, come on over here, <laughs> come to yeah. the Big Ten. Yeah, it, it's better. It's it's just a crazy scenario because one thing's for certain: what this expansion would mean would be a transformation of college football, unlike which you have ever seen. What we saw in 2011 was merely a preamble and good for Missouri for getting their seat in the cakewalk early because it mm-hmm. might not be there. You know, it might not have been there this time around. No, and they would have gotten screwed. You're, you're looking at four divisions, roughly 16 teams and a playoff developing off that. I expect that playoff to be um, also 16 teams eventually. And mm-hmm. from that, the top four um, finishers of each conference will just go into the playoff. You'll get rid of the conference championship game and the whole season will be like a tournament. Yeah. I mean, you treat it like high school then at that point, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get, <clears throat> you can even go as far as 32 teams um, mm-hmm. and have like regional things like that. Like high, it, you could, you know, high school could do it. I feel like college football could figure out a way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then roll that way. So um yeah, that would be cool, man. I, I think that would be great. Like you have geographical conferences. Um, you know, obviously the SEC would truly be the SEC. 
Uh, the ACC would that would be kind of weird, but I mean, technically, you're running all the way up the the eastern seaboard, so technically, BC is Atlantic Coast, except yeah. for Notre Dame. That's yeah, just, Notre Dame and Indiana. Yeah, and then Syracuse. Yeah. Um, so you know, if I'm the ACC, maybe I trade uh, Notre Dame and Syracuse uh, for like Maryland and Rutgers or something like that, and uh, you know, get a more regional, you know, up the eastern seaboard type conference. So. Um, have a golf division and Atlantic division <laughs> for, for your schools. Right. Legends um, and leaders. Yeah. That worked well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then the coastal and the Atlantic that, yeah, that works really well too. Cause I still don't know who's in each division. I couldn't hey, tell you, could not tell you. Well, one thing um, I think when all this happens is I don't think the Longhorn network is going to be renewed. And this is, it can't coming be. up because it's not going to be renewed. Yeah. Um, so I, I foresee a scenario where the SEC has two networks mm-hmm. and a streamage pa- streaming package over the top for both of them. Um, yep. I, I foresee that happening, and it could be rather interesting to essentially have um, the SEC West and the SEC East separated on their network, but they'll have an over the top. Um, streaming service that you can watch everything on. Yeah. I mean, you know, sports media is going to change tremendously as well. I mean, obviously the Longhorn network is going to dissolve and I don't think it's doing all that well. Um, so that, that probably is part of the reason why it's dissolving and part of the reason why Texas is exploring. That was kind of the only thing that was keeping him in the big 12 at this point was the Longhorn network, but it's just not like, it's just not going well. Like your number one host is Lowell Galindo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, some weird things are happening at ESPN too. Like there's like a upheaval of, of talent leaving. So like the SEC network, you know, the ACC network, some of these like sub networks within ESPN, do they break off or do they try to join Fox or CBS or some other major network and get under that umbrella? Or, you know, like what, what do you like, how does that impact? Like, do you see anything well, like that, John? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't see anything like that happen with the SEC, especially now since um, Disney paid three, four hundred million dollars, whatever mm-hmm. that, whatever that price tag was that got the CBS rights and the ESPN Plus mm-hmm. rights, and just put everything under one umbrella. I don't think any of that's going to change. I do think that that is driving this expansion. I think Disney wants this to happen. Today on the show, Paul Thonbaum was talking about it like it was an inevitability. The only denial that came out of any kind was from Texas A&M's Ross Bjork. And then he went on the air like 30 minutes later and walked that back with a butt. And so it looks like it is pretty far down this road. Now, Oklahoma State put out a statement that they will aggressively defend their own interests. That's a shocker that the Oklahoma State's going to look after Oklahoma State. Um, but they're talking about four votes need to um, have to be there. Four negatives can block an expansion, and they're trying mm-hmm. to campaign that, and they're talking about Texas A&M and Missouri. It would be a hard no. I, I just don't think I just don't think that would be a hard no eventually because once they press it and back in the boardroom, that's all going to be a yes and it's going to be a unanimous yes. Um, and everybody's worried about Texas and the mess that they can make once they get into the boardroom and start swinging around the fact that they're Texas. Um, don't realize that there's a lot of big dogs at this table. There's a lot of people that can tell them to sit down and we will handle things from here. Yeah, there is. I mean, as good as their administration is there at Texas, I mean, I think Chris Del Conte is is a really good athletic director, but he's walking into a league with tremendous athletic directors from, you know, all over the place, you know, with, you know, Josh Brooks at Georgia doing a tremendous job. He is now a big dog, uh, you know, guy at Ole Miss. Uh, who's, who's the athletic director at Ole Miss? Keith Carter. Keith Carter. Yeah. I didn't know his name, but he's doing a pretty good, damn good job. I mean, he's, he's hired some, he's made some good hires in, in, in all the sports and, you know, bringing lane, the lane train down to, to Oxford. I think he's doing a good job. Um, he's the one that got Kermit, even though he's Ross the one that got there. Kermit in basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I think there's some big dogs here and I think there's some big boosters. Uh, there's a lot of influence. So Texas is just going to, is just going to put their raft right in the big pond 
with the other rafts. And, you know, I think they'll immediately fit in, you know, they can't walk, they know they can't walk in and, and push people around like they did in the big 12. Like there's a difference between, you know, they, I, I don't even think, you know, you look at Vandy and, you know, they're, they're the little fish in, in this thing. And I, I think that they, you know, just by association, they get, they get respect too. Uh, they're the big dogs in baseball. Um, consistently. I mean, I know, I know, uh, Mississippi state knocked them off this year, but you know, they're consistently really good in the sport of baseball and they're usually competitive basketball wise. They they've been really down lately, but, um, you know, you got some great ADs in this league. You got some great administrators, school presidents, uh, fan bases, things like that. I mean, Texas is not the number one show in town. Like they were in the big 12. They will immediately know that Oklahoma the same way. So, uh, I'm excited to have them. You know, I, I guess we're on to Oklahoma, Texas now, but um, I'm, I'm excited to have them. I, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be good. Uh, I think it'll be good competition for the league. I think it'll make things interesting. It'll truly make this the most difficult league in the country. Uh, if it are, if it already wasn't, um, it's going to get even more difficult. I, I think shaking up the divisions could be really beneficial. Um yeah, I think Pama walks into the east with Auburn. Uh, then, then you then you shift Missouri over to the west, uh, and then and then add Texas and Oklahoma. And I think you you get a true west and a true east. Uh, I think Alabama Auburn being in the east would be awesome. Uh, and then you know you just kind of have to figure out schedule wise how you're going to do it um, as far as crossover games and and stuff like that. But um, you know you take your top. You, know, you take your top two from each uh, from each division, stick them in the sixteen team tournament, 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 <laughs> tournament. Hey, yeah. e- the English language has escaped me for a moment, but uh, you know, I I think there's a lot of great ideas as far as that goes. I, I think you can, you know, you can band a, you can band a couple of these uh, group of five conferences together. Like you could probably put the Sun Belt and Conference USA together, uh, the American, and then the Mountain West, and just let those teams roll and like the top four, you know, out of those, out of those leagues, get a seat in the tournament. So. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. And if you look at basically um, the geographic setup and the rivalry setup of a potential Oklahoma and Texas with Alabama and Auburn moving East, it actually, fixes a lot of problems with that we had with the rivals and had for years. I mean, you've got um, Auburn and Georgia in the same district division. They're no longer across division. That You also have the Alabama and the Iron Bowl is protected. Alabama and Tennessee is protected. That used to be a cross-division game. Auburn gets Florida back. Um, the, mm-hmm. the big ones would be like um, – Mississippi State versus Alabama, that rivalry, they've played 100 times, but nobody is going to miss that rivalry. And Ole Miss is going to lose Vanderbilt. And it might be a situation. You can't lose Vanderbilt. Yeah. (laughs) They can't lose to Vanderbilt. There's a difference there. Um, There's a big difference. Yeah. And seven conference games and maybe two cross-division games and with no permanent opponents because permanent opponents would not be necessary any longer. No, it wouldn't be. And it, it'd be fun. You know, you reinstate the AM Texas rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you preserve the Red River shootout. Um, you preserve the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Iron Bowl. Uh, Battle of the Oak and Barrel doesn't doesn't get affected. You still you still get Ole Miss LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, you still get Arkansas LSU, um, Missouri, Oklahoma. I don't know if there was any rivalry there, but um, there could be now. And so um, I, I think. I think it gets interesting, right? You know, and, and, and you sent a text to me earlier today. Uh, poor Vandy. Yeah, they get screwed. Yeah. But yeah. They're going to step it up, I guess. Step it up. They're going, they're going to have to. And, and Oklahoma and Texas coming over. I'm not one of these people that just assume that because they come to the all-powerful SEC, they're going to be a three-loss team after being a playoff team in the past. Mm, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, that doesn't work that they're way. Good. This isn't good. some kind of mystical brand of football that we play in the SEC, no. and they're they going recruit. to end up. Yeah, they're going to recruit the same type players to win that everybody else does. So, nothing, you know, Steve, nothing changes in recruiting. You know, with these mm. things. Oklahoma is always going to recruit the state of Texas, no matter if they're in the Pac-12, Big Ten, 
uh, Sun Belt, whatever. They're always gonna they're always gonna recruit the state of Texas well. They're always gonna recruit their home state well. Texas is all nothing changes in Texas. Mm-hmm. They're always competing with A and M, no matter what conference they're in. They're competing with A and M. Texas is a brand. They recruit based on their brand, not their conference. Um, they've been down for a little while, but you know, they, I think they made the right hire in Sarkeesian. I think Sarkeesian's finally yeah. got his, you know, what together, but, um, you know, they're still, you know, to A&M and Texas are still the big dogs in Texas. Um, that's never going to change. Now they're in the same league. So it's going to make things interesting on the field. You reinstate that rivalry. Things are going to heat up between those two. Recruiting's not going to trail off. So to, to think these, these two teams are going to immediately come in and go over in the conferences, if you're listening to somebody that has that opinion, you might want to change the person you're listening to, right? Because because they recruit, they have scholarship players too. They have mm-hmm. 85 of them. Uh, Oklahoma, albeit they've gotten curb stomped in the playoffs, uh, most most of the time they've been there. They're still good. They're still a playoff team. So, and Lincoln Riley is a quality coach, and he's got a quality coaching staff. Sarkeesian is a quality coach. They've got a quality coaching staff now. So they're going to be viable. Get ready. And it's okay. I'm here for it. All right. I don't want Georgia winning a, a weak league if they win the league. You know, and if I'm a fan of any school that's that's competing, I don't want to win. I want to be in a strong league because that means my brand is strong. That only boosts recruiting for schools like Arkansas, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, Ole Miss. You know, that builds their brand because now Texas, Oklahoma come over. You're always competing for the same kids, but now your brand is stronger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the SEC West would be the the three schools that can that can be upset potentially about this in some way. I what I understand the argument on is Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and LSU. Now, I think they will be fine, but the other members of the pre-1992 SEC is sitting in the other division. Um so you would play those guys less often, but mm-hmm. going to Norman, going to Austin, um, going to College Station, going to Baton Rouge. There's some there's some places to go see. There's some dudes to um, play against. It, it it will be pretty fun if it happens. Yeah, no doubt. And if I'm upset about playing members of the uh, conference pre 1992, I guess they're the same people that are mad that Georgia Tech left. So yeah, you know. Take the, Which and, those those people exist. Every now and then I come across somebody. Now, not so much now because it was back in the fifties, um, but are genuinely upset that Tulane left. Yeah, I, seriously, I, I see that. Swanee too. I'm sure you get somebody with Swanee. They left. Well, in like no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite that old. <laughs> come on, Steve. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> no, that you old. set one up on a tee for me. Yeah. I about slam dunked it. Um, yeah, I know you're gonna take a shot. Uh, uh, sip of your land land shark there but Mm. um yeah i I like the uh, i like the way the divisions shake out i think it's interesting you know i know georgia fans are like oh man we just can't get away from bama but bring them on shit bring them on who cares you know let's beat them yeah i mean that's all you can do right we have to beat them at some point so why not just put them in our division and let's go let's play them every year right then i can have you know then jake thomas can be a fixture on my show on my believe in Georgia dog show, you know, he can be, yeah. I listened to the best of the West, by the way, uh, What'd you say? Just, well, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. They, uh, you know, they talked a lot about quarterbacks and a lot about, uh, you know, what was going on there. And, uh, Kevin Bohannon and, uh, Jake Thomas, they do a really, really good job. So, um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing them more. You know, I think as they get to know each other better, I think their chemistry can only improve. So, they did a really good job uh, to answer their question. Uh, they, they, they talked about uh, how Brian Harson's going to recruit the South. I got one. I got two names, Mike Bobo, Derek Mason. That's how they're going to recruit the South. Okay. Harson made a great, some great hires for recruiting. Uh, Cause he hired a bunch of Southeastern guys to help him with that. So I, I think recruiting is going to be fine at Auburn and maybe even get better. So um, to answer their question on that. Yeah, yeah Mike I, 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 ace in the hole. Yeah, each coach that comes into the SEC has their come to Jesus moment, some so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with the shock value of actually participating in the daily wear and tear of recruiting. Um, and Brian Harson is probably going to go through that at least once. But once he figures it out, just like every coach, he's going to figure it out. But he's got some guys that have recruited in this league that'll help that transition not be as long as others. So, yeah, um, you know that's why hiring like he he's not hiring Mike Bobo to be he's not hiring Mike Bobo to take over the offense. He's he's hiring Mike Bobo to help him with the offense and to be his recruiting ace. You know that's that's why you hire him because because Bobo brings some brings some good things to counterbalance what Harson does, um, but the recruiting piece of it is really where kind of Bobo fits in. That's, that's his best attribute right now. All right. So we've talked about Oklahoma and Texas and all the expansion stuff, and that's going to progress over the next couple of months. Let's take um, the last little bit of this show and talk about sec media days. Um, Mm -hmm. Clark Lee was pretty impressive, man. I did. I thought so. I I thought he had a lot of boys said a lot, said all the right things. You know, they, you know, I, I was talking to him on Beast of the East, and and Craig was kind of like, "Man, it's it's Vandy," but I mean, this guy gets it, man. I, I'm I'm impressed with Clark, uh, Clark Lee, and I, I think that, you know, he's not going to have a ton of talent there, but he does have a quarterback, Ken Seals. Uh, his father liked one of my tweets, so that's good. Um, I'm a big Ken Seals fan. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know. Um, I'm a big Ken Seals fan. I think he's a great quarterback. I, I think that's going to be the difference maker when you're looking at Vandy in South Carolina. Talent-wise, yeah, they're the bottom of the barrel in the East right now just because the rosters are so depleted. But mm. you know, I, I think Clark Lee is going to be able to recruit well for Vandy. Now, obviously, he's not going to be able to like recruit on par with Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, you know, those, those bunches. But he's going to recruit well for Vandy. He's going to develop a nasty style of defense, and they're going to have an identity on offense, which that's like the first step in the right direction. You know, if you have an identity and something that you do, that's going to be, that's going to be tough, right? You know, they're not going to win a ton of games. It's not going to like the win loss column is not how you're going to judge Vandy, but I, I think they're going to be one of those teams where you're like, thank God this game's over. Yeah. And I, I'm, Looking forward to seeing that because they are doing a lot of the things that need to be done um, at a place like Vandy. They want to lead. They just don't want to be a member of the smart smart kid caucus. They want to lead it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important because you can be influenced and you can do you can think it's like, oh, they did this at Northwestern. This will work here. No, the SEC is a different animal. Um, the Northwestern. The SEC is a different animal than Stanford, as Derek Mason saw. Good coach, mm-hmm. great scheme. It's just a different thing. And you need to lead that caucus and not follow and do something that somebody else did. Because where they hit a home run um, a, earlier in the 2010s or whatever is by the hire of J- James Franklin. It was an offensive system. It was the Ralph Region system. They found a niche they could recruit to. They were tough as hell. They found an explosive play generator in Bob Shoup on defense who would make a big play every now and then. They weren't true run stoppers. They weren't suffocating defense, but they were big playmakers. And then you get a quarterback, and all of a sudden you win nine games two years in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, like I said, they they – they found what they did well, and, and and they did it. I mean, let's look at the NBA example. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks just won the just won. The, I would say the national championship. Mm-hmm. They just won the NBA championship, right? Right. They're kind of that situation where, like, they have a they you know obviously they have a superstar, but he wasn't a superstar when they first got him. Like they had to build him. They had to build through the draft. You know, obviously it's pro sports, but you know they found an identity. They found what they're good at. And they played to that and they just made sure they were the best at doing what they do, which is pound the rock, shoot the occasional three and really just kind of run the game through Giannis and then play defense and have drew holiday as the, you know, defensive stopper, you know, give the the other superstar nightmares um, in, in a seven game series. They had their identity. They played to it very, very well. It wasn't always successful for them, but they just kept they just kept going with it. Kept going with it. They were patient. They didn't get rid of Giannis. They developed Middleton. They developed Holiday. They developed. They 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 brought on Brook Lopez and they, they they upped his game. And now they're champions. 
I'm not saying Vandy's going to be a national championship team, but they can be a successful football program in the SEC if they follow that same kind of formula. Find their identity, find what they're good at, find what they want to be good at, and just do it. Just be good at that. And then they can be they can be viable in the East. They can be very, very tough. They can get back to those James Franklin days. And I think they can. I think Clark Lee is the same type of coach as James Franklin. Obviously, the defensive uh, version of James Franklin, but I think he's going to have the same relentless effort that it takes to make a team like Vanderbilt good. Yeah. It, just a great, great coach, great it just you have to wonder if the personnel, if it's going to take too long, if the grind's going to wear him down. There's it's other not, things at Vandy that you have to worry about. Yeah, and, and but he has I a think good point. He's a Vandy guy. He understands that. Yeah, yeah, he, he's so, a Vandy guy. He played there. So, um, how did you think Kirby did? Thought he did well. Um, I, I thought he did well. I, I thought he was very. Uh, I, I thought the stuff that he talked about outside of the game really painted Georgia in a good light. You know, the foundation stuff they had with the, uh, you know, the social injustice thing, the, the, the dogs for pups uh, foundation that they, uh, that they created, um, you know, it was all about action and, and not words. And he made that a point, um, you know, they're, they're above the threshold and, and, and continuing to climb on the vaccination stuff, you know, talked about Ron Corson and leading the sec medical task force, um, you know, I thought he did really well. I thought he answered every question as about as good as you could answer it. I, I thought he addressed everything. Uh, he, he, he had a little bit of humor and, you know, I, I think he just, he, he did well. He's comfortable. I mean, he gets it right. So, right. uh, I, I thought he did really well. I thought Lane Kiffin uh, on, on your end, I thought he I thought he killed it. I, I was impressed with Shane Beamer. Um, I don't know how that's going to translate into his coaching success, but I, I thought he killed it in the media days. Uh, I heard Josh. I, I didn't hear Josh Heupel's uh, session, but I heard that you know the stuff that he did when he was not on the mic really gave him uh, a lot of credit on uh, on his media day performance, like just getting to know people and just working the room and stuff like that. Like not every coach does that, but you know, I, I'm I'm you know I'm impressed with the coaching depth that we have in this league. I, I you know, I, I'm not one of those that. I kind of looked at all the coaches and was like, I'm not sure if there was anybody who did poorly, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, Dan Mullen actually broke out that he wasn't going to put a square peg in a round hole, proven mm-hmm. that he actually listens to the show and takes our advice he does. on a daily basis. He does. I mean, Shout out to Dan the, Mullen. The, yeah, the reach of SEC out after dark is just just growing Dar- and growing and growing. Darth Mullen, Darth Mullen right there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think if, if you really, I mean, I, I even thought coach O did okay. Um, but I would definitely say that he was probably, uh, number 14 on the list, but I think they all did well. Coach O, I, I don't know. He, he's, I don't know what's going on down there at LSU. It's, it's weird. You know, it's, it's weird that he has a national championship. First of all, I know, I know you're weirded out by that. Well, Larry Coker. I mean, I'm fine with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you take your shirt off in celebration? Man, um, story time for everybody. Story time. Coach O, story time. Whenever I was the video coordinator at Ole Miss, um, part of what um, was required is a dog pile every now and then. They would carry around a football, and if it hit the ground, everybody would go pile up on it. And it it legitimately looked like um, South Park um, from, you know, they took our jobs, you know that episode of what's going on and and they threw a ball in the middle of the field in the middle of the team room and me and the um other video guy was just sitting in the back watching the show as it was going on and it was like wow this is utterly ridiculous i can't believe they're doing this then all of a sudden you just hear a booming voice yelling um out it's like stop 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 and then he just um coach o starts yelling at me because i didn't take my shirt off and participate in the dog pile and just proceeded to spend 10 minutes like yelling because the video guys didn't have their shirt off for this team room fake fumble drill that everybody was piled up on. They're not getting up and going back to their seats. They're just having to sit there in a pile while that we're getting dressed down for not participating. It is utterly ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever been through. 
<laughs> God, I remember you telling me the story originally. Yeah. Can you uh, can you imagine being the guy on the bottom of that pile? Yeah. The, the fact that they just didn't get up and they just had to stop and wait while they were piled up like a mound while this guy yelled at um, me for being an adult man that didn't want to take his shirt off and hoop and holler. How but dare you? Uh, yeah, there's some weird stuff like the stuff of Coach O talking about <laughs> um, he could whoop anybody's um, butt of, that was in here and the uh, introductory meeting. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff also where he just like rips his shirt off like Hulk Hogan back in the day. I mean, it, it was bizarre, man. It was it was really bizarre. I mean, he's running around LSU's campus shirtless now. Um just just getting his exercise in. So it's crazy, man. Like he moves one state over and dude fits fits like a glove. Mm-hmm. You know, he is like that's he's gonna be people. governor of Louisiana before too long. Yeah, that's his people. I mean it it's you can get away with stuff whenever you don't act out of the ordinary. He did not fit at Ole Miss at all. Absolutely did not fit at all. Lane Kiffin fits like a glove. Ed Orgeron just did not fit. You talk about square peg, round hole. It was like, hey, we can get out of this from the recruiting. Let's give this guy an opportunity. And then when he got there, just disaster after disaster happened. Yeah, and it's not a good fit. Yeah, I I, I get that. Um, there's a lot of those at Tennessee, too. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, like, who the hell is this guy? Like, Butch Jones, I mean, yeah, he's a good group of five coach. You know, they hired him. They could justify it. Oh, he had, you know, he was winning 10 games at Cincinnati and Central Michigan, and he was doing well down there. And then he comes down and he's just a cliche machine, you know, like, uh, you know, like one of those, like he was a walking fortune cookie. You think they'd be um, okay with Phil Fulmer back in 2004 again, instead of starting this coaching turnover thing that's just got them basically irrelevant? Uh, I, I think Phil Fulmer would have eventually topped out, but I don't know. Like, I kind of think if they held on to Lane, he kind of would have figured it out. Like, if if for some somehow USC didn't come calling and and that didn't happen, um, I, I think they really screwed up hiring right after Lane Kiffin. Mm. Uh, that's where they screwed up. Um, I, I can't, it was so long ago. I can't remember exactly who was available and who they probably could have had, but man, it was, they, they got it wrong like three times with Dooley, Butch and, and, and Pruitt and man, it's, it's terrible. Um, I think they finally got it right with Hypel. Uh, so that's the good news for them. Uh, I really, I'm a big fan of Hypel. Uh, I, I can't be, I can't be any longer because he's Tennessee. But I think he'll do well there. The Tennessee-Georgia game is usually kind of fun. It is. And it's usually in early October, and now it's in November. Yeah. Um, if um, Oklahoma and Texas comes back to the SEC, I've already got the tweet sent and everything that LSU – the LSU-Ole Miss game needs to go back to Halloween if Alabama is not going to be – you know, if they're going over to the east, if that happens – um, that game needs to go back to Halloween and go back to where it belongs because they they've done some moving around of that game to where it's it was uh, for a while it was right before the state game and now they're trying to put every other year in an, in October it's it's weird. Yeah, Georgia Auburn needs to be second weekend in, in November. That's where that game belongs. Uh, Tennessee needs to be early October. That's where that game belongs. Obviously, Georgia, Florida, they they will never they won't move that off of Halloween, which is good. That's where that game belongs. Then every other game you can move around wherever wherever you want. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But don't mess with those three games. Yeah. Because there are certain games that just mean something when they're played. And I think Ole Miss and LSU, it actually means something that that game should be around Halloween. The two games mm-hmm. on Halloween should be the cocktail party. I, I don't know if we can call that it, call it that now. I, I don't well, care. I'm calling that so go for it yeah yeah and and the Ole Miss LSU game that should be on Halloween but because of the bye week in the first week in November is the LSU Alabama game they don't want Alabama to have a bye week and them not and this Ole Miss game can never can can never go back there yeah that sucks yeah that would be that would be a cool uh Halloween like night game yeah yeah when I was growing up as a kid um on the radio you'd listen it was like 
they'd play purple people eaters and and they'd play all Halloween themed music about that game. And there were songs about that game. And it was, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, um, just a little public service announcement to everybody. There's no Palmcast tomorrow. Um, taking the place at 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central will be a 20 minute um, LSU preview video. Um, Matt Anderson came by and talked about all manner of LSU football, talked a little bit about the league. He, he, he works down at um, one team. One- 20 minutes of uh, the dancing baby from the original YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, might have, might as well have been, but it was a good interview. Um, a lot of good LSU football knowledge. Um, let's yes. go back. Let's go back to um, SEC media days a little bit. We talked about Dan Mullen, um, mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin. I'm gonna give you my impression of Lane Kiffin, and um, you tell me how far off base I am. Um, really, it's about getting the brand out on the SEC network to re- potential recruits. And he mentioned NIL in a very cool way against about Bryce Young. He um, said of it, it was a giant recruiting commercial for Ole Miss. And, and it's like I said today, I think Kiffin just dominated day two of media days. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think he did a really good job. Uh, you know, day two was, was Kirby and Lane. I, I think it was an extremely strong day. And, you know, I know you and I are Ole Miss and Georgia guys and, and mm. uh, peeled the curtain back on like the education that's going to go on behind it. He talked about a text exchange he had with Quavo. So for those of you who don't know who Quavo is, he was texting back and forth with Kirby Smart, and he said, make sure that your guys aren't thirsty. Meaning, um, because, you know, you could get burned in this whole NIL deal, too, um, by, by getting with the wrong people. And, and so you got to be careful. So there's a whole educational piece behind that. Um, he said some of his guys, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll get a deal because he's Jordan Davis, but... Um, he's not like, he's not like all been out of shape about it. Yeah. And, and it, it, to your point, he, it is going to be a major thing. Just trying to figure out what's going on with this name, image and likeness stuff. And, you know, that could be good. That could be bad. Um, but until we can get our arms around it, we're just going to have to like, let it go until it, until it reaches its end, which will probably <coughs> two or three years. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you're just going to see there's going to be some experimentation these first mm-hmm. few years until they get it right, until they figure out a situation, until they figure out how it's going to look. Um, you're going to see some guys get burned. You're going to see some some other sport athletes that get screwed. That's just going to be part of it. You know that, that you know you got. You know, there's always going to be good with bad, and so when you when you look at it as a whole i think it's going to be a i think it could be a positive thing but then again you know you got to also you know it's just every there's a lot of factors that go into it and you just got to kind of take it for for what it is but you know i thought lane kiffin did a really good job uh, on his piece with it i thought kirby did a really good job with his piece on it i think some of the players that they've talked to um, have done a really good job talking about it and i and i think they've kind of Thing that, and I think why they've done a good job is they've kind of busted some of the myths of of it, and like those those Cavender twins out at Fresno State, you know, they busted some of the myth that like women's basketball and like female athletes are going to get screwed with this. They got to deal with Boost Mobile like through social media, and they're they're like big TikTok stars, so mm-hmm. they have a presence and and they got compensated for it. So. That's good to see that it's not just the top 1% of football players. Yeah, I I think the way this is going to show out eventually, whenever everything settles down, is going to be appearance fees and Mm -hmm. low-level boosters. Like, I don't know if there's an equivalent of it. Speaking engagements. Yeah, there's a store in Oxford. There Maybe appearances are going to be – brought in but a local booster but it's not going to be the even the mid-level booster um doing this because like Bo Nix signed for signed with Milo's sweet tea you know mm-hmm. well they quickly found out Milo's did that because of the outrage that they had to go sign an Alabama player as well 
because you can't. <laughs> yeah, because they were they're about to get half yeah, the state and, boycotting them, <laughs> and 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 they were able to do that. So what they thought was going to be, I don't know how much it was, but say a fifty thousand dollar name, image, and likeness deal just became a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, just instantly, just because maybe you weren't thinking about how this was going to be perceived and how crazy, honestly, crazy people are. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't take into account that, Hey, we're in the SEC. There's some pretty, there's some pretty crazy people here. So, um, you know, companies are going to learn too. They're going to learn who to, who to get with and who not to and where to go and how to do it. And everyone's just learning what to do. And the NCAA mm-hmm. is sitting back going, everybody's packing up their offices because they're about to be disbanded, but um, it's just it's just a whole learning experience, which is a good thing. It's change, it's progressiveness, it's getting these guys in a billion dollar industry who get relatively nothing, and to the person who says, "Well, they get a scholarship, they get their education," that's not enough. Let's just, let's be honest about that. That's not enough at the, at this juncture. In the in the early night in the eighties and nineties and and before, it was more than enough. But it wasn't a, a, a billion dollar business as it is now. Yeah. They're getting like there's all kind of demands that are placed on these guys that weren't with previous generations. So it's kind of like apples and oranges, right? And it's a shift in thing. Like you got to get compensated for that, right? You work hard, you put your body on the line, and I'm not saying pay these guys a million, millions and millions of dollars, but you know compensate them fairly because you know you're you're representing a brand and that brand is making, you know, eight, nine digit salaries, you know, athletic departments. So, you know, the TV deal alone could help the TV deal alone could help these sec schools pay some of their other athletes. Right. What are they doing with that money? Yeah. Well, um, one thing I was thinking about the other day, um, was about this name, image and likeness thing and how, now, you're in a position where you may not see players go out early unless they are a surefire first round pick. They don't. They won't have to. Like they, they, won't, they won't have, have to. Chase to. The money. You, they're, they're, yeah, you're going to be comfortable. Yeah, and you can stay and get your degree and do all that you need to do because you're not. You don't have to chase that money. And there's going to be companies that give bonuses for finishing your degree too. Yeah, and um, also like baseball which is essentially a three-year program because of the draft. Um, So any player that plays in the SEC, they want to be a three-year player. Well, now you might be able to be a four-year player because if you were in the 10th round or below and your signing bonus isn't what it needs to be because that'll need to be raised up, you can stay another year in school. Your signing bonus for your senior year will be shit anyway. But um, this one wasn't very good either. So go um, find a way to make a little money on the side because at a place like Ole Miss and a place like Georgia, a baseball player might be able to make a little bit of money. Yeah, I mean, Vandy, that's a big sell. Mm-hmm. South Carolina, that's a big sell. Arkansas, that's a big sell. Ole Miss, that's a big sell. Um, basketball, Kentucky, that's a big sell. You know, keeping these one – like I think it'll help basketball and – and some of these one and dones, like obviously there's going to be guys that are just one and done and that's it because they're going to be superstars and they're just literally fulfilling a rule that's in mm-hmm. place, which is an ass rule. Yeah. Stupid. Rule. Completely stupid rule. And it ruined the NBA for years. I think the NBA is finally recovering, but it ruined the NBA for years. Um, you, you're going to have fringe guys like late first rounders going, Maybe I could stay and get get into the lottery range, and make a make a few extra dollars, you know, and stay in college. Like, there's going to be some incentive now to stay because you're making money, or you have a chance to. Like, you go to a speaking engagement, or you work you work at a car dealership, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and that guy that's going to be, and like going back to football, a guy that's going to be a fourth round draft pick. Now he's going to be financially able to come back for that senior year and try and try and even boost that up even further as opposed to signing just out of desperation this year. And also with the XFL and the USFL, 
there's a pathway beyond the original one or two percent that was going pro before all mm-hmm. this happened. And I, I hope the USFL can can take footing as long as you keep Donald Trump out of it. Um, yeah, because he he ruined the league. But um, I, I think the USFL was. I mean, I know that I know you were watching. I'm probably a little too young to to have seen it when it was happening. I mean, I I know about the USFL and I know the story behind it. ESPN Films did a really good job of putting that documentary together. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> small potatoes. If you're yeah. interested in watching it, mm-hmm. yeah, great, great documentary. Um, and I hope that league can take footing because I think it could be an exciting way to bring football year round. And it could give some of these guys a chance. Mm-hmm. Like it could give quarterbacks number thirty-three through infinity a chance to 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 lead a team. You know, like some of these backups in the NFL could go jump to the USFL. Yeah, absolutely. Like somebody like Chad Kelly, who for there, some reason, money for whatever had. reason, just have not made it in the NFL. Um, now you can go to the lower league, like the USFL or the XFL, and you can put a good season together and get invited to a camp and get to go through all that because these these things are going to be in the spring. These these like the XFL and the UFF, USFL are going to be in the spring. So you have time to do that. I have a big year until June 15th and then go on for camp. I mean, it's year-round football for you, but it's a chance for you to make it. Yeah, and and to be honest, there's nothing to say that you know even in the mid '80s that the USFL couldn't have competed with the NFL and and been its own separate entity where guys are choosing. I mean, that was a thing. Like there were some mm-hmm. pretty big name people, uh, mainly quarterbacks, especially that chose USFL. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Herschel Walker chose USFL. Um, he signed. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, that that one was a little bit more complicated, but yeah, um, yeah. but they, they, they were actually trying to get Anthony Carter playing for the Michigan Panthers, um, Bobby mm-hmm. Abair playing for the um, Michigan Panthers, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, uh-huh. yeah, uh, Micro Warren Moon, huh? Yeah, um, Micro Sa- Yeah, Sam Mill. Basically, that whole defense for the Philadelphia Stars under Jim Mora went to the New Orleans Saints. And became the Dome Patrol um, way back in the mid-80s, if everybody mm-hmm. remembers the Dome Patrol. Yeah, but I, I think had Trump not bankrupted the league and, and just drove it into the ground, I think that league was gaining traction. That league was becoming very competitive with the NFL. And, and the NFL John, is John Bassett dying um, didn't help at all either as well. No, it didn't, but... You know, I think it's it has a chance. Like it has some name recognition. I, I hope it does well. I mean, obviously the NFL is going to be really tough to to unseat and and but I mean you can gain enough traction to be a viable spring league. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely can. And you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm a, I'm just going to say I'm a lifelong Tampa Bay Bandits fan. I'm hoping the Tampa Bay Bandits come back. Um, I want to go over to Raymond James Stadium in the spring and watch a football game in mid May. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Do they hire but Spurrier again? They they might. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> they get they get uh, extremely young Spurrier, and then they turn around and get extremely old Spurrier. Yeah. Oh, also, um, before we get out of here, I do want to say because um, this he's one of my favorites of all time. Bobby Bowden was diagnosed with a terminal um, disease today, and I, I'm terribly sorry about that. Hmm. But yeah. Florida State in the '90s. You cannot be a football fan and not enjoy what they did in the in the 90s. And that rivalry with Florida and Steve Spurrier together, the Free Seas University and all of all of that going back and forth just made college football really entertaining. And mm-hmm. I hate that for Bobby, but thank you so much for doing what you did and putting the teams together that you put together because mm-hmm. – you might you don't know about it, but you definitely influenced a small town kid from South Mississippi. Uh, you influenced uh, a, a big town kid from Atlanta. Uh, you know, even though my dad didn't play for him, uh, he played pre Bowden at Florida State. Uh, but you know, Coach Bowden actually, when my dad was battling cancer, Coach Bowden called my dad mm-hmm. um, because he knew he was a letterman, a former letterman. So he called him 
wished him well. They had a conversation. So uh, to think, you know, Bowden was there, I think, for a, for one season uh, when my dad was there as an assistant before he, you know, moved on to where wherever he went uh, before he came back as head coach. But, I mean, that guy just changed a lot of things uh, w- with college football. And, you know, there wouldn't be a Florida State in the 90s if he hadn't came on with the mantra, we'll play anybody anywhere in the early 80s. Like, he, there was no game he was afraid of. He would load them up and play them. Uh, he was innovative uh, when when he was coaching. He he did things, you know. He did things his way. Um, he he was kind of that first guy of like he would give guys chances, second chances, and mentor them and, and make sure he ushered them and kept them out of trouble. Uh, you know, FCA wouldn't be a thing I, I think without without uh, Bobby Bowden spearheading that. You know, there's a lot of things that he's responsible for. And then just the just the really fun rivalry with Florida uh, and, and with, with Steve Spurrier. Uh, I think ultimately those two had the utmost respect for each other, but they made it fun. You know, Steve Spurrier is, is not shy uh, to, to throw a few jabs, but it was all in good fun. But, uh, you know, Bobby, um, I hate to hear that news and, and it's terminal. So, you know, I guess get well soon doesn't really, uh, doesn't really apply here. But, you know, I, I hope he... Uh, yeah, I, I hope he can somehow find a way to beat this thing, but you know, he's, he's accomplished a lot and, and I appreciate that. And Florida state was, you know, Florida state will always, you know, for, for many reasons, but, uh, will always have a special place with me, um, and, and my family. So, um, you know, hats off to, to Bobby Bowden. Yeah. Um, there's a story like in 1998 where, um, there was a brawl before the Florida Florida State game, and Doug Johnson actually mm-hmm. threw a football at Bobby Bowden and actually didn't get punished for it. And a reporter asked him, "Is like Doug Johnson didn't get punished for throwing a football? Can you imagine if your quarterback? What would happen if your quarterback threw a football at Steve Spurrier?" And Bobby Bowden said, "Well, my quarterback would have hit him." And just those jabs back and forth. It was just mm-hmm. such a fun rivalry. Even so, even if you take um, into account, I didn't even bring up the wide right bowls and going back and forth with Miami because you had that fun happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And and that, that whole thing with, uh, you know, all the coaches down at Miami, you know, I, I think the, 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 the rivalry they had with Jimmy Johnson in the late eighties, uh, I think that was a lot of fun. Dion, Michael Irvin, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Bobby Bowden, the, you know, the, those games were always uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Florida state being able to, to get on the better end of that later on uh, that, that national championship game was about as crazy as it gets. They, they douse them with the Gatorade and then the referees are like, hold up, <laughs> this game ain't over yet. And, you know, they, you know, they missed a 50 yard field goal. Nebraska did to, to, to seal that game for Florida state. But you know, to, to, to win the games that they won, to have the rivalries that they had and to have for Bobby to ha- have had the impact and influence of so many coaches and so many players uh, in football and, you know, in, in, in FCA and, you know, all, you know, his, his walk with, with religion. And I know that was extremely controversial too um, with a lot of people, but, you know, I think just the impact that he had amongst a lot of people, you know, it is felt right. And, and I think it's, you know, he's been great for college football and, you know, I I think that, you know, he was done wrong at the end of his tenure at Florida state being pushed out. Um, You know, he deserved the right to go out whenever the hell he wanted to hell. He could have still been coaching there and I would have been okay with it because he's Bobby Bowden and, and you don't have Florida state football without Bobby Bowden. Like he is Florida state football. He, he basically invented the spread offense in 93 or 94 whenever he decided that Charlie Ward could only function out of the shotgun mm-hmm. in that offense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he ended up winning a Heisman that year off of what was happening, but that basically would have morphed into the spread offense. Yeah, I mean, it was the brainchild of him and Mark Richt, which um, was kind of like a – it was kind of no, another like subset. It, it was like the fast break – uh, West coast offense is, is kind of what it was. It was mm-hmm. the spread fast break West coast because you had the air raid with, uh, with BYU in the, in the mid eighties. Right. And that's kind of where the air raid was born because Mike yeah, Leach Lavelle was around. And, yeah. Yeah. With Lavelle Edwards, that's kind of where that was born. And then Mike Leach kind of 
twisted and turned it and formed it and got his own thing going. But that was, he didn't, that didn't take footing until after Bobby uh, got going in 93 with Florida state. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of it was influenced by Jim Kelly, Uh, Jim Kelly and Mark Rick were roommates down at Miami. Um, So the fast, you know, he would talk with, with Jim. uh, And and so they, they kind of, Buffalo was kind of doing the fast break thing in the NFL, Florida state, you know, kind of took it, tweaked it, made it work for them. National champions. Yep. All right. Let's get out of here real quick. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'm uh, watching um, for watching Corey. Him. Yeah. For Corey. I'm Steve. Um, thank you very much. And of course, hotty toddy. Go dogs. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.